My next guest is a man who, for a fair bit of his life, would have struck white-knuckled fear in you. He was born in a poverty-stricken black township in Zimbabwe. At seven years old, his mum deserted him and he was living on the streets by 11. He joined a very mean urban gang called the Black Shadows and embarked on a life of violence and terrorism, all in the cause of overturning the country's government. Then came a defining event in Stephen Longu's life. He was sent to firebomb a Christian meeting in a tent. He was carrying a bag full of bombs into that tent, but he never carried out his mission. Stephen, welcome to Open House. Thank you very much, Lee. It's a great privilege to meet you, Stephen. Can you first give us an insight into what life was like in the Black Shadows, that gang? Well, uh, the Black Shadows was uh, young people who were hurting bitter, rejected. Um, we all came from broken homes and always a, a broken home produces a broken society. And here we were from broken homes, so we we're all broken and hurting young boys um, with 101 questions which had no answers. Like, why me? Why others, are, you know, had all everything in life? But it gave you companionship. Exactly. So that gang, which we named the Black Shadows, uh, became my family, became my my home. And uh, under that bridge and scavenging in the garbage bins became my lifestyle. So I had nothing to lose if I did anything wrong. If I broke into someone's home, especially for white people, said God wouldn't be angry because they have everything. But it was sinful if you store in a black man's home. So all those interpretations were just from the heart to do something. If it was a violent gang? Very violent. And uh, I I never used to laugh from about age of six in the gang. And I even told my gang that you never laugh in my presence. So I was like a bitter boy who never laughed quiet and predictable even to my own friends. And they didn't know what I might do next. So I remember one day one friend of mine was was laughing going around the house and I followed him and I shot him on his uh, thigh. And I said, you never laugh in my presence. So I started laughing when I was about 20 years when I came to Jesus. Yes, which we're going to get to. How old were you when you shot that? Man. I was about uh, 15 or so, yeah. So I was still angry, bitter, and uh, many questions in my heart. Do you think you ever killed anyone? I really don't know because each time I would stab someone and run away, and so I wouldn't wait for the result of what happened. So I started stabbing someone when I was, I was 13 years old. So my knife, which I'd named the dragon, each mark on that knife told you how many times I'd stabbed someone with that knife. So it became my friend and my two guns became my buddies. So those were like my things which I trusted most. How many marks were on the dragon? Oh, I can't remember now, but there were several marks. And, you know, from the age of about 13 until when I was 20. And a young girl came to share her testimony with me. She said, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I pulled out my knife and stepped on her back. 
And uh, her fr my friend said, hey, Steve, what are you trying to do? And I pulled out my gun and said, you tell me not to do it, I'll kill. And I said, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And so I walked away as if I'd done nothing. So to me, I had nothing to lose, so angry. And it all started because of my parents. So that anger just grew up. What were you so angry about your parents and I suppose life for? Well, uh, what happened here is that uh, my mother was only 13 years old when she was forced to marry a man she didn't love. Uh, there was these arranged marriages in those days. So my father was about 50 years old. So a 13-year-old girl marrying a 50-year-old man was like marrying your grandpa. Yes. So when I was born, our, my mother was 14. And later on, she had my brother and my, uh, my sister. So she had three kids before she was even 20. The only thing as a four-year-old boy was to see my father bashing my mother day in and day out. There was no day I didn't see blood in the nose or mouth of my mother. So that brought real, that bitterness. Yes. And uh, several times my father would push me aside when I would try to save my mother from these beatings. But one day I hit against the wall I was bleeding, and I looked straight in the eyes of my dad, and my dad said, why are you looking at me like that? And I didn't answer him, but in my mind, I just said, you wait. Let me grow up, I'll kill you. So I was growing up just to kill my father, the way he bashed my mother. So one day he walked out of the house, and uh, that was the beginning of misery, and later on she dumps us in the streets, ended up living under an orphanage, and my sister, the hospital, so separated us even from the two brothers and our sister. That took almost 49 years before we saw our sister again. Did you ever see your dad again? Yes, I saw him uh, years later when he was about 90, you know, 98. So that's the time and later on found my mother when I was preaching in Zimbabwe almost after 40 years of pre um, as she came forward and she says... Uh, uh, the testimony you are sharing, you must be my son. And I thought it was one of the ladies adopting me. He said, no, I'm not adopting you. I'm the one who dumped you in the street. And uh, I didn't know what to say. I started crying. But God had already prepared me to give me forgiveness and inner healing. Uh, because I had to deal, after being a Christian, to deal with the bitterness, yes. the baggage of my past. So often we become Christians, but we carry the past with us. We, we carry the baggage of the past, unforgiveness, bitterness, and so on. So I had to forgive my mother if I needed to be a strong Christian, you know, to walk with the Lord. What a special moment. Yeah. Can I take you back to your younger days? Did you have a view of God or a picture of God in your mind? First, there was a picture of God when my father, who was a church elder in the Presbyterian church, and uh, he would preach good messages, but the, the contrast was that uh, at church he was a religious man, but at home he was like a lion. Yeah. He would be completely different, the way he was harsh to my mother. So I was puzzled, and that is the moment I took away this concept of God that if there is a God why me why my father and why all this bitterness and ang anger in the home so 
when they dumped us, then the question is, is there God? Yes. So I started doubting the existence of God, and especially sleeping under a bridge. I would say, if there was a God, why did he love the white people who are rich? And those people who are educated, even Africans who are rich, but why me? So that erased the existence of God in my mind, in my heart. So I grew up as if God was only for those people and not for me. And then came that tent meeting. Now, you yeah. went to that tent meeting, as I said, with bombs in your backpack. Yeah. Why were you sent to bomb them? Um, after we had joined the freedom struggle in Zimbabwe, you know, in the bush we were being told that... Uh, Jesus was a white man. And so there was no way we could believe in a white man's God. And also we used to believe that we used to worship ancestors, you know, spirits. So they used to give us rain and water and food, but not this God. <clears throat> so I did away with God to believe the ancestor. But even the ancestors' spirits, I, I still had doubts until they introduced me to Karl Marx. And Mao Zedong, and this became my God because of the ideology of communism and said it looks, it looks so impressive. So I embraced this Karl Marx, uh, Marxist ideology. And then I said, well, well, I will not believe in Jesus. And anyone who talks to me about Jesus, I'll give him a bullet. And the Bible was, you know, we're told that it was brought by the white men to Africa to brainwash the black people and make them slaves. So the white men were saying, God is love, but meanwhile he took my country and he made me a slave, sent me to America to for sugar plantations and so on. So I hated anything to do with the Bible. So that the real brought that bitterness in my heart. And you were going to firebomb that Christian meeting? Yeah, that night then uh, I was uh, I was given this time bomb to go and plant it at a certain bank where many white people used to go. And then that was Sunday, timed to go off on Monday, quarter past eight. So I was excited that, well, because in the bush I devoured that you only greet a white man. First you kill him, then greet him later. Never talk to a white man or greet him while he's still talking because he will make you a slave. So first you kill him and then talk to him later. So that day when I was going to plant that, plant that bomb with my friends, you know, roadside we saw this big massive tent from South Africa. Now anything from South Africa was a taboo because of the apartheid system they had there. So when we saw this tent, we heard that they were singing choruses because for us at first we thought it was a circus. But when we got near just these songs about Jesus, when I heard that name, like my blood pressure was moving fast, anger, bitterness. So I said, guys, before we get to the bank, let's go and surround this tent. And we firebomb it and uh, run away. Or if some people are running away, just use your AK-47 and spread the bullets. So they said, okay, we'll do it. I said, if one person escapes from that tent, I'll give you a gift of a bullet. They said, oh, yeah, we'll do that. So when we got there and said, what time must we do this? I said, seven o'clock on the, sh on the dot, I'll blow the whistle and you throw these bombs. I said, okay. 
And one of my friends at the stolen watch, he said, oh, Steve, but we still have five minutes before seven. What do we do in these five minutes? Up to now, I don't know why we didn't bomb it at five two. But I just said, well, guys, let's go inside and just for just two minutes, let's go and look at the people who are about to kill. Then we'll go out and bomb them. So we went inside and by God's way, they invited a beautiful girl to share her testimony. And that confused me because I'd never seen a pretty girl becoming a Christian. I was thinking that Christianity was for the old, old grannies who are about to die or ugly girls with no boyfriends and so on. So I said, maybe what's wrong with this pretty girl? But the more she shared a testimony, like there was that glow around her. And I said to my friend on my right, do you see this girl is shining? He said, no, I don't see anything. And I said to one on my left, he said, do you see she's shining? He said, no, I don't see anything. So I was angry with my two friends. I said, what type of eyes do you have? Why can't you see this glow around that girl? He said, no, we can't see it. But it seems like it was me seeing this glow around that girl. And she had something which I couldn't put my finger on, but something touching my life. But she immediately invited another evangelist who read two verses, Romans 6, verse 23, and 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, that through his poverty you may be rich in Christ. So he said, I'm going to talk about transaction. If you surrender your life to Jesus, in return he will give you four things in one package. And he says he will give you forgiveness, joy, peace, and eternal life. In my mind, I said, oh, that's a good deal. If I give him one thing, which is my life, then it gives me four. That's a good deal. But then this man, when he started preaching the gospel, I love this first part of this transaction of God's love taking my place on the cross and dying for my place, on my place and forgiving me. But he said he went to heaven, but one day is coming. But when he comes, he'll be the God of judgment. That's the part of the message I didn't like. Because when he spoke about the judgment of God, I didn't like his finger. Every time he pointed, no matter which direction, he pointed that finger like it was bending towards me. And I pulled out my knife to stab my friend. I said, how can you tell the preacher? Why did you tell the preacher about my sins? And he took out his knife. He said, I also kill you. You told him about mine too. So we started arguing. Uh, but has, that finger made me restless. So the next thing, I would duck down behind someone's back when there was a finger pointing at me. So I was going up and down, up and down. But little did I know that you can never hide from the finger of God. And I broke down in tears, deep conviction, picked up my bombs and walked forward. And that was my turning point when I invited Jesus into my life. And my sins were forgiven. The joy, the peace, there is no language under the sun can ever express that joy and peace I experienced that night. If those people had that five minutes before you were going to attack them, how long did that 
end up taking that process before you went forward? Well, uh, it, it just took almost like 20 minutes when he was preaching the gospel because one of my friends had asked me, oh, Steve, it's time up, let's go out. I said, do another five minutes. And then when that message was really being preached, um, the next thing was while he was preaching, another gang, a rival gang, came and threw the bombs into the tent and blew up that tent and it was in flames, people fleeing away. And uh, after some 40 minutes, soldiers were you know, shooting to bring peace and fire brigade to put out the fire. Many cars outside were all in flames. And I happened to be the only boy who remained behind that night. And he said, why have you remained behind? I said, can you have Jesus? Save a sinner like me. He said, yes, God loves you. And then he read to me Psalms 27 verse 10, which says, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It was because of this scripture that night I said, God, please have mercy upon me. I'm sorry for all my sins. Please come into my life. I need your forgiveness. And that night, I experienced the most glorious thing that the heavy burden I was carrying was was rolled away. The peace of joy just flooded my heart. And I started weeping. And this time it was tears of joy. Uh, I, I mean, I just wanted to jump and and praise God. And I went under my bridge and started thanking God. I said, now what do I do with my life? And you know, the miracle happened that night is that God saved me from my bad language. Oh, every second word was a bad language. But God cleansed my mouth and he saved me from drugs. You know, that was like a snap. The desire for drugs left me. And I was trying to stop many times, you know, how can I stop this? But it was just like a snap that night. That desire, God took it away. And then even knives, I just started hurting knives and my guns. I said, I can't handle these things anymore. But that's why following day, I had to surrender myself to the police. And after eight hours of interrogation, the preachers came to give witness. And after eight hours, I said, well, if what God can do and what if he did to Paul and he has done it to you, this is a miracle. And we forgive you too. The police did. Yes. So the Bible says, if the Son of Man shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And you were. And I was. Completely free. Free at last. And one of the policemen gave you some money. That's right. He gave me some money. He says, uh, don't go with guns anymore and knives. Here's some money. Go and buy yourself a Bible. So I was 20 years. I never had any education. I didn't know how to read and write, and so I bought myself a Bible, which I didn't know how to read, but I just enjoyed flipping the pages. said, oh, the day I'll read this book, I'll read it and read it. So I was about 22 years when God opened my eyes and used a white missionary to help me to be where I am today. Wonderful, (laughs) wonderful story of transformation. (laughs) On Open House, we're with Stephen Longu from the fabulous African Enterprise organisation, which we'll get to in just a moment. Stephen, how do you account for such a sudden and comprehensive turnaround in your life on that night? Uh, Lee, this is really quite an amazing thing because as I share my story, people say, why is this true? 
indeed people say wow is this true but even for myself i have to say why is it me you know i have to pinch myself because even for me it took a while that god what is happening in my life and why have i stopped suddenly smoking you know to stop drugs it's a battle yes but it was just like a snap to me and so this time I sat down, I would just weep and weep and weep. Imagine from the age of six, I never used to laugh until when I was 20. And now when I was 20, laughter turned into tears. I, I, the only way I could express myself like a volcano erupting inside, it was just to shed tears. And that's how often I would share my joy, just tears. They just come out. It, it's just so glorious. And sometimes I almost want to go in the streets and grab anyone and say, do you feel the way I f- I'm feeling? You know, just to tell them to give them what I'm feeling. Yeah. And when you see gloomy faces in the streets, you just want to stop. Said, hey, guy, let me share with you what God has done for me. So that has given me the opportunity of sharing my story, whether in the buses, in the trains, above the clouds, in the air. The one who sits next to me, by the time we land, I will have told him my story. I never zip my mouth. I'm excited. I go through the immigration. When they stamp my passport, I talk about Jesus. <laughs> and I'm so excited because of what God has done in my life. Wonderful stuff. You met a man called Patrick Johnson, who is a very important man in your life. Exactly. Um, Patrick Johnson had come from Britain. He was a scientist um, working first in the United States to develop a certain plastic which went to the moon. Um, you know, he was one of those scientists who did that. But God called him to come to Africa as a missionary and uh, leaving a lot of wealth and came to Africa to be a missionary, to preach the gospel. And it was this man who started discipling me, started, you know, teaching me, the, you know, how to speak English and write good handwriting and so on. And we always fought, of course, because um, he was so strict with me. And I thought he was torturing me. And often I would want to kill him. And I was born again. I loved the Lord. But, you know, my baggage of the past was still haunting me. And uh, so after 15 years, he struggled to teach me, to help me, and also teach me even how to keep time. If I was late one minute, we would fight. And, you know, as white people, when you are angry, you become red, red, red. And we black people, we become pitch black. And so we would fight and so on. And his wife would reconcile us. But after five years, you know, I started learning, you know, learning how to keep time to get out of this African syndrome time. People say African time, which I fight against in Africa. And uh, now they say you behave like Patrick Johnson. You do everything like Patrick, Patrick Johnson. He mentored me to be what I am today. And to read that Bible. And to read that Bible. And he was very strict with me. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So now you're the international team leader in Malawi for African Enterprise. For people not familiar with African Enterprise, tell us what it's about. Where's it come from? What's it do? Yeah. African Enterprise was founded by Dr. Michael Cassidy, a white South African, 
1961 and this year we're clocking 50 years uh, celebration our jubilee in South Africa this August and um, he has been leading this the, with a vision with four pillars the first pillar is evangelism which is a core value evangelism preaching the gospel winning souls to Jesus but as we preach in Africa we find that many prostitutes come to Jesus street kids and so on you don't just say God bless you and we felt that we needed to also to have the, another wing of social concern and then reconciliation and leadership development. Why is Africa the way it is? Because of bad leadership. So we are trying to develop leaders to be men and women of integrity without corruption and nepotism and so on. So basically that's what we do and I took over leadership from Michael Cassidy as the international team leader worldwide. Um, and also that's a surprise to me because we have many highly educated in African enterprise, p people with PhDs and so on. And why me who never went to school? And that's also one of the miracles. So I've led this organization um, as second generation. And now this August, I'll be handing over the baton to a younger person who will take then further on the next 50 years. It's been a very important job that you've done. How do you reflect, Stephen, on the movement of the Christian faith, both in Africa and in the West? So white people brought Christian faith to Africa mm. as missionaries, and as the West is now quite significantly deserting Christian faith, <coughs> it's blossoming in Africa. Yeah, uh, one time I was asked, you know, six years ago here in Australia, I was asked, you know, Stephen, Tell us the hunger, spiritual hunger we have here in Australia and Africa. Is it, how is it different? I said, no, it is the same hunger. But here in the West, you have things on the spot. Good hospitals, good everything. It is at the press of the button. Yeah. Some of you complain when you don't have ice cream in the refrigerator. You think you are suffering. Yes. But Africa is more than that. We suffer, no bad hospitals, bad everything, corruption, and so on. Now, um, God is really bringing Africans in thousands to the Lord. And so Africans now, in return, are taking the gospel back to the West. You gave us the gospel, we embraced it, but you have lost it. And so we feel this is the time for Africans to take it back to the Western world. As you're doing tonight. As I'm doing tonight. And uh, God has been blessing. Last year I was in America and just coming from Europe, France, Germany, and so on, to see the hunger when I preach the gospel there. I can get away even with some of the things as from Africa. There are things you cannot say, it, but I can say it. Yes. And get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure you say it long and loud enough. Yeah. So to the West and to the audience, what would you say the greatest needs are of African enterprise? Yeah, African enterprise really when I come here is that God has blessed the West with material things, you know, resources and so on, while in Africa we're struggling, real strug struggling. So I come here to solicit resources from 
you guys in the West that uh, help us to run with the gospel, to preach the gospel. And so often many people say, oh, $20 is nothing. But for us, when it is translated in Africa, I can buy two full tanks of fuel to go and preach the gospel. So I'm asking Australians to bless us in Jesus' name. And I hope they do respond, especially when they hear the transformative power of God in Africa. There are many in the West, as you said, who don't or won't believe in this God. What would you say to them now, Australians listening to yeah. the radio tonight? Well, in true, I was the same. I didn't believe in God. But uh, I look at myself the way I love God passionately. I said, there is a God. And the God who died on the cross, his, uh, his hands are still outstretched there, Come unto me, come unto me, still beckoning people to come to him. So I was the same like you Australians, but now here I am. God has changed, transformed my, God has given me the best woman in the world, best marriage. And uh, if God gave me a chance to marry again, I would marry my wife again and again. <laughs> uh, because God has blessed us so much. And uh, with five children, but we adopted 10 kids from the streets. Um, That's how God has blessed me. Just wanted to give back to God. So to Australians, I want to challenge you that if you are still negative to the things of God, just open your heart and just say, Lord, what you did to Stephen, do it to me. And God is there to listen to your prayer. Stephen Longo, I'm so privileged to meet you. And uh, we all are to hear your story. I'm so grateful that you've joined us on Open House. Thanks so much. Thank you.